This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Last week we learned, yeah, he's explaining what the rabbis mean when they say that the world was created with the letter Hey, which refers to all, all of the worlds. And he explains how is it possible from the same letter Hey, you should get two results. One, the higher worlds, the worlds that contain the souls, the angels, versus our world, the material world, the dense world. And although there are many different levels within the spiritual world, there's a world of uh, emanation, there's a world of creation, there's a world of formation. But in general, you have this world and you have all the other worlds. But nevertheless, all of the worlds higher that are higher than this world have one thing in common. What do they all have in common? What they all have in common is that they are all spiritual. And they all have souls, and they all are aware. They have an awareness of godliness, awareness of Hashem. Versus this world is a dark world, a dense world, a low world. And in this world, a, the light that we find in this world is very, very limited. And even that light, that little light that we have, is also enclosed in a very thick shell of form that covers up in it. Versus the higher world has a higher level of life, life force, and the darkness, it doesn't have such a thick shell, it doesn't have such a concealment. So, just like we find within this world, you have different levels of life. You have the stone, which is no life at all. You don't see any life. It stands rigid, Versus organic life, you see life. It's alive, it grows. A tree is alive. You can tell the difference between a dead tree and a live tree. Life. It blossoms, it grows. But it's a limited life. An animal has a higher form of life. It doesn't stand still rooted in one spot. It moves around, it roams, it's, it's alive. It's a higher form of life. A, high, a human being has a higher form of life. So too, the different realms, you have the higher forms of life. The world of formation, the world of, of creation, the world of emanation. But then you have our world, which is the lowest of all the world. It's like the stone. It's like rigid. It's dense. It doesn't budge. It doesn't move. There's no sign of life. Hardly any, there's no life. And on top of that, it's also concealed in the shell, which covers up and contradicts and hides and conceals and distorts 
godliness. You look at the world and you don't see, it doesn't point its finger to a creator. It doesn't point its finger to that there's a root, that there's a source. I am. The ego is very prominent. Divorce, disconnected from any source, from any root, from any rhyme or reason. So, not only is there a little life, a little energy, but even this little energy is totally covered up and concealed and hidden and distorted. Versus the higher worlds, all the different levels, even the lowest level of angels. But there's a sense of spirituality, a sense of an awareness of the source. There's a higher form of life, of energy, of godly energy. And it's not so concealed, it's not so covered up. Of course, you have the different levels and different worlds, higher worlds, because it depends on how much light, how much light and how much divine energy is revealed. And also, there's less and less screening, less and less cover-up. So you get a higher form. But all of these forms, from the highest to the lowest, what they all have in common is they're all spiritual. They're all connected to their source. They sense their source. There's an awareness. There's a sensitivity. Versus in this world, is like a dumbing down. Not only is there very little light, but the little light that's here, it's all dumbed down and it's all covered up and concealed and distorted. Like a bunch of glumpen, a bunch of goylems. Like no sense of any sense of reality, any sense of truth, any sense of right from wrong, any sense of... So, the hay, the same hay, produces all these spiritual realms, and yet the same hay produces the physical, material world, which is like a category for itself. This lowly world, however, with the life force that is found within it, is too small to contain and endure the light and life force that proceed from the form and inwardness of the letters. This lowly world is too small for this light and life force to be able to radiate and diffuse in it without any garment or concealment. As they radiate and diffuse to the souls and angels, which receive the radiation from the inwardness of the letters, without the garment and concealment of the matter and, and body of the letters which consist of the breath. It's like you have two students. One student you can speak openly. They understand, they grasp a concept. They don't need parables, they don't need similes, they don't need... You can speak to them clearly and openly. They get it, they understand it, they have the mind to absorb the concept. You can tell them 2 plus 2 is 4 and they know what you're talking about. Then you have a student, this 2 plus 2 is 4 is too complicated. You have to say 2, two apples and 2 apples is 4 apples. Okay, that he can understand because it's apples. Apples he understands. Pure concepts too abstract his mind is not capable of absorbing so everything has to be told in a parable of foxes and hens and stories and things tangible things that you can grasp and that he can understand but pure abstract concepts it's very difficult for him to um, you know to get and that's why it has to. You need a parable. That's why everything in this world, it's covered up. It's concealed. It's like a parable. Of course, within this parable is contained. The concept is is within this parable. 
but you don't see it. All you see is the story. It's covered up. And the, the parable you can understand, you can relate to. But you don't have the mind, the student doesn't have the mind to grasp a pure abstract concept. And he only gets the external, the, the superficial, the parable, the nice story. In the nice story, there, there is a concept, an idea. He doesn't get the idea. That's external versus internal. In any classroom, any group of students, you'll get many students, if not most, will get the external part of what they're learning. The parable, the external, the superficial, the story they'll get, the nice story they'll get, that they'll understand, that they come alive to, that they wake up to when they hear a nice story. But when you speak the pure concept, they're lost. They can't really relate to what you're talking about. There's a very, there's, on the other hand, you have those few students who don't need... They wake up and they hear the deep concept, the pure concept, the stripped from all those externals because they grasp it. Their minds are capable of grasping. So the upper realms, the upper worlds, the angels, the souls... They are capable of getting to the point. They're capable of seeing and sensing and being aware and relating and connecting to the real dynamic, the real story, what's really going on. It's not existence, it's divine energy that's creating us. That's the real story. That's what's really going on. Versus we, what we relate to, we connect with, we relate to the external. Existence and we find it very difficult to relate to. It's very abstract to us. Pure abstract, purely pure abstraction. The creator, divine energy. So that's this world. This world is only capable of receiving the external, like the shape of the letter. The breath, that's why this world is created with a hay, Meaning, just like the hay is the breath that forms the letter. It physically forms the letter. Versus the upper worlds also receive from the hay, but they receive the source of the hay. The source of the letter. The source of the letter which is rooted in the deepest part of the soul. The inner dynamic of the letter. So you have the same letter, the same speech, yet we only get the external. Versus the higher worlds, the angels and the souls, get the internal. The divine, the godly, the real story, the content of the letter, what's really going on. Versus we're left with the story of the letter, the shape of the letter, the sound of the letter. And that's what creates this external, superficial, dense material world. And by nature, we are dense and external and superficial. It's the neshama. It's the soul that we have within us. The godly soul that we have within us. That's internal. That tends towards the internal. The truth. The depth. The inner. The connection. The real dynamic. But the body, the material, the animal soul, the ego soul, business, money, the whole world, 
the whole dynamic of life and the world that we live in is very external, superficial. And it's getting more external, superficial at each passing moment. But this comes from the letter Hey, the external part of the letter Hey. Instead, the radiation and diffusion comes and flows to this world from the matter, body or externality of the letters. This is called breath. Just as the body or external aspect of the letters of man's speech derives from physical breath and it divides into the seven breaths of the second verse of Kaholet, on which the world stands, as taught in the Holy Zohar. The world exists only by virtue of the seven breaths uttered by King Solomon. King Solomon starts out, Kohelet, Ecclesiastics, Hakel Hevel Avolim, Hevel Avolim, he says, Avolim is plural, and Hevel, and if you count it all up, it's seven, he refers to seven Hevel, everything is foolishness, that's the literal meaning, everything is Hevel. King Solomon wrote Kehelet at the end of his life, at the end of your life you come to the realization that everything is Hakol Hevel, Everything is not everything is foolishness. So he refers seven, seven havalim. The Zohar says that this actually is something very positive. That hakal, everything comes from the breath, the hevel, God's breath. And there's seven breaths, and the whole world stands on that breath. So this is the breath as the source of everything, everything that's created. Okay, because the seven refers to the seven emotions with which God creates the world, seven emotional attributes. So the breath contains, expresses, the, the, the breath which formulates the letters, expresses the emotions. You speak. When you speak, you're, you're conveying, you're expressing, you're communicating the emotions. So it's the emotions that create the world. It says the world was created with kindness, with chesed. And Hashem created kindness in order to create a world. Because it's only the emotions where existence, creation begins. Because emotions, by definition, is how I relate to something outside of me. I love something outside of me. I'm attracted to something outside of me. I'm repulsed. I hate. I despise. I dislike something that's outside of me. So emotions is the beginning of your connection and your relation to something outside of you. Versus your mind, all that exists is you. Your mind is very self-contained. You don't need anyone to think. On the contrary, people are a great distraction. A person who likes to think is a loner. He can entertain himself. He doesn't need anyone. Just give him a book and he'll curl himself up for 24 hours and you won't see him and he's entertaining himself and he's very happy. He's not a social creature. An emotional person is very social. He thrives off his interaction with other people. He needs other people. I love, I hate. His whole life is defined by, that's an emotional person. His whole life is defined by his relationship to those outside of himself. So this is uh, the same as with Hashem. That Hashem's mind, so to speak, that's Hashem, where Hashem is for himself. That's the Torah. Torah is a God's mind. The Torah precedes creation. It's beyond creation. The Torah is the way God is thinking for himself. Nothing exists but God in his mind. The, it's only with the emotions, when God emanated from within himself, in order to create the world, God emanated from within himself the emotional attribute of love, of kindness, 
emotional attribute of compassion, of strength. So this is where the worlds begin to come into existence because emotions, by definition, are the way God relates. God loves, so God loves those outside of him. He wants to do kindness to those outside of him. God is angry at those who outside of him their misbehavior or God is compassionate and those are outside of so it's the emotions that where the world begins that's what it says Olam Chesed Yibana the world is created through Hashem's kindness and the deeper level is in order for Olam Yibana in order for the world to be built through in order for the Olam to be a world Chesed Yibana God had to build kindness God had to emanate from within himself the attribute of kindness because it's only when there's an attribute there's seven attributes that the world begins, comes into existence, begins to come into existence, that there's some relationship to something outside. And, that, that, and all of these emotions are communicated and conveyed through speech. So the, the breath, the breath is what formulates, is the source of all the letters and words that, that convey and communicate these seven emotions. And this is the source of everything because, as the Talmud says, as Hashem created the world with ten utterances. Question is, he's going to explain later that there are ten utterances in the beginning, in the beginning of the book of Genesis, in the story of creation. But if you actually look at the book of Genesis, only nine utterances. It says nine times Vayomer. Vayomer Hashem, Hashem said there should be heaven, Hashem said there should be uh, trees so how do we say there are ten, with ten utterances the world was created so the Talmud says that Beresh is bara likim, in the beginning God created Likim is also is also a maimah, that's the first of the ten utterances so why is it different, it should have said Vayomer, that God said why does it say Bereshis is different? Bereshis, it says in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Why is this utterance different than the other utterances? Because it's a more general utterance. The other nine utterances are very specific. But this utter, the first utterance is a general utterance that includes all the others. So much so, the word Bereshis also means Bereshis. God created six, the six main emotions. And the seventh is the expression of the emotions. So, the same is with the breath. The breath is general because the breath is what is the source of all the letters that come from this breath. So the breath is the general and the seven breaths that contain the emotions. This is really the foundation of the whole world. Hakel Hevel Avalam. Everything comes from, from Hevel Avalam from this breath. This is the utterance that issues forth from Hashem's mouth, i.e., this is the letter He, which is vested in this world and all its hosts to animate them. So it says, Moitzi Pi Hashem. There's the Pi Hashem, the way there is when Hashem speaks, so to speak. Hashem speaks and says. But then there is the source of Hashem's speech. Just like we have the speech, and then we have the breath, which is the source of all the speech. The breath that comes from within. So the seven breaths, this is the He, is the Ha. That's the breath, which is the source of all the speech that comes later, the letters, the words, sentences. And this utterance is vested in the form of the letters of speech and thought, emanating from his holy attributes and his will and wisdom and so on. 
This is similar to the letters, i.e. the potential and the as yet inarticulate components of a man's speech or thought, which attain a state of revealed expression through his emotions. Since, for example, he loves and desires something, he thinks and speaks about it. The emotions themselves, however, derive from his will and mind. The same is true above. The letters of speech and thought are revealed by the divine attributes and emanate from them, though ultimately they derive from Hashem's will and wisdom. Which are utterly incorporated in the blessed Ainsof, infinity. Thus, the radiance emanating from the form of the letters, a radiance that emanates from God's attributes, wisdom, and will, is merely found within the internality of the divine utterance that creates and vitalizes this world. It is not manifest. That which serves as the source of the creation and vitality of this world is the ex- externality or body of the letters, the breath of divine speech. The letters and words express and convey God's emotions, which derive from God's will. And they're all absolutely unified within the absolute unity of God. But they are conveyed through the breath, through the... Just like when we physically speak, there's the physical sound. Words and letters are rooted in the deepest level, in the deepest levels of the soul. but they also are formulated in the very physical, physical speech, which contains the emotions and the will of Hashem. So it's the external letter that formulates, that forms and creates this physical world, the external world. The physical, the breath, so to speak, the external part of the letter creates the physical world, this physical, material, course world because what's on the inside we're not perceptive to what's on the inside we don't perceive what's on the inside versus the higher worlds the world of the angels and the world of the souls the souls and the angels do perceive what's on the inside of the letter the content of the letter so they see through the letter for them the letters are transparent like when we read a language that we understand, we're not looking at the shape and the physical form of the letter. It's transparent for us. We're seeing the content, the meaning, what it contains. We don't, we don't even hardly notice the letter. You can speed read. You know, you're, you're not, you're just, it's, you're reading the meaning. Versus if you're reading a language you don't understand, you're stuck. All you can read is the physical shape and the letter. That's all you notice. Because it's not transparent, it's completely opaque, it's like blocked, covered, I can't see through. I can't see what's on the inside. The windows are blocked. It's a one way, uh, you can see from the inside out, but you can't see from the outside in. So all we see is the external. And that becomes our reality to us, that's what we focus on. That becomes real to us, the external part, the physical, the material we don't notice the inside, the soul. We see the material, the body. So we are the body. We are the material. And we can't get past that. Yes, the body contains the soul. And yes, the parable contains the, uh, the moral of the story. But we're stuck with the parable. We're stuck with the body. We're stuck with the external. And it's very difficult for us to get past that. It's only, as he said in the beginning of the letter... It's only in the world to come 
after, in the afterlife, after the soul departs the body in the Garden of Eden, when the soul goes to its eternal reward, there, then the soul is able to see, to see Godliness and experience Godliness directly. But for us in this world, it's very difficult for us to experience godliness. Everything is very external. It's difficult for us to experience, period. <laughs> Everything is either mental or up here. It's all abstract. It's all external, superficial. A genuine experience is very hard to come by. We go through life, we sail through life, and everything is very external whatever we're experiencing, how much do we get out of it? That's the challenge. For example, you, when you get married, <laughs> you, uh, it's up to us. We can take 25% of the possibility a marriage offers. We can take 100%. But it's really up to us what we, how we open ourselves up and what we experience. We can pray. But how, how much of our prayer is true, true experience? Well, we're just going through the motions. Which probably describes 90% of us, 90% of the time. We celebrate a Shabbat. We celebrate a holiday. Did we truly celebrate the holiday? Were we there or were we just tourists passing through? Is it really an experience or are we just external, superficial? We're so tuned in to superficiality and external because we're bodies, we're physical, we're material beings, we're human beings. That's the definition of a human being in this world. We, this is the most lowest of all the worlds. This is the most superficial of all the worlds. This is the most tangible, the most physical, the coarsest, the crassest. But at least you know that we're, that we're the lowest of all the worlds. The problem is when you start celebrating your lowliness <laughs> and you start being proud of your lowliness and then, you, then you're so low it's, it's really bad news. But at least a person knows he's low and crass and coarse and the lowest of all the worlds, the dreg of the universe. Okay, there's nothing to be proud of, nothing to parade in the streets about, there's nothing to, 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 to the trumpet in the streets. But it's just a symptom of how low you are. You're so low you don't even realize how low you are. But that's, that's the nature. That's the nature of who we are in this world. That's what we have to struggle with. So for us to have a real experience is rare. It's, you have to rise above. And in a way, we're limited. While we're alive in this world, we're very limited. We're boxed in. We can't really get beyond that abstraction. It's very hard. Only in the world to come, in the afterlife, when the soul leaves the body, in the Garden of Eden... There, the soul experiences pure bliss. It actually experiences godliness. It experiences everything the soul lives through in this world to come, the soul actually experiences. Shabbat, it's an experience. And that's why it's the, it's the eternal reward, and that's why it's such, so blissful. Because everything that we have in this world, all the pleasures that we have in this world, doesn't even come close to one moment of the pure bliss and pure pleasure the soul experiences in the afterlife. When it experiences, whatever level it's at, it lives it, it experiences it, totally, without any screening, without any screening, without any blockage, it's totally transparent. That's the soul and the angels. 
In this world, we are, we are limited in our bodies. We live in the material world. We can't. We, we just get the external part of the hay, the breath that formulates the physical sound, so to speak. The hevel hevel. Maybe that's why it also, for most of us, life is hevel hevel, because we end up pursuing all the narishkeit and all the foolishness. We get so caught up in the external that we completely miss the soul. We completely miss the whole point. We miss out on the on the uh, on the main. What's really important in life. In the middle of page 90. Isaac Gloria of Blessed Memory stated that the external aspects of the vessels of the Sephira of Malchut, of the world of Atsilut, these external aspects being alluded to by the lower hay of the four letter name of God, descended and became the soul of the world of Asiya. It is likewise stated in the Tikkunim that the Yud is in the world of Atsilut, the upper hay in the world of Korea, the Vav in the world of Yetzira, and the lower hay nests in the world of Asiya. The Arizal writes, and it's also written in the Zohar, that the hay is found in the world of Asiya. The hay the lower level hey, the last letter in the God's name, in Hashem's name, becomes the soul of the world of action, of our world. So it's inside. It's like our soul, the soul of our body. It's on the inside. But it's not something that's, that's manifest. What's manifest is the body. But inside, you have the soul. What that means is, because although in general he says that the whole universe was created with two letters, Yud K. The Yud K Nivra Ilam. The Yud with the letter Yud Nivra Ilam above, the world to come was created, the Garden of Eden. And the Hey with the Hey Nivra Ilam Azeh, this world was created, which includes all the worlds. Nevertheless, specifically, Hashem's name has four letters. Each letter, as we learned in this third part of the Tanya, and you get it, that Shuvah, the letter of the Shuvah. Chapter 4, each letter corresponds to a different world. The letter Yud corresponds to the world of emanation. The letter He corresponds to the world, the higher level, the first He corresponds to the level, the world of creation. The letter Vav corresponds to the world of formation. And the final He, the last letter, is, refers to the letter, to the world of action. And what that means is, the world of emanation is permeated with wisdom. The wisdom, the divine wisdom. What is divine wisdom? Divine wisdom is the awareness and the sense that nothing exists besides God. Complete nullification before God. There is no ego, there is no I, there is no separation. Completely one and unified with God. So the world of emanation is called the world that's really one with God. It's not really a separate world. It's, it's the divine emanation, the divine attributes. So it's one with God. Then comes the world of creation, the beginning of separation from God. But the world of creation is what dominates in the world of creation is the letter He, which represents God's wisdom, God's understanding, divine brilliance. 
because the souls and the angels of the world of creation have a very deep penetrating and very deep perception understanding of Godliness. They completely sense Godliness. They're like fish in water. The fish is completely swallowed up in its life source. They're completely swallowed up in the divine energy. So yes, they're separate fishes, not water, but they're completely one with the water. So although it's the world of creation, they're created beings. An angel is a created being. A soul is a created being. It's not divine. It's not godly. If you bow down to an angel, you bow down to a soul, it's idolatry. But nevertheless, they're, they're as close as possible as a human, as a created being could be to God. They're like fish that swallowed up in water. They're completely absorbed within their source. They, they have a deep understanding and a deep perception and awareness of Godliness at all times. They have such huge minds and huge intellects that sense and understand the, uh, the root and so- their own root and source, which is God. Then you have the Vav, which represents the emotional attributes, the six basic emotional attributes. And they, the Vav is the source of the world of formation. The angels and the souls of the world of formation are very emotional. These are the angels that love Hashem, the fiery love, and angels that are, you know, in awe of Hashem. So, very emotional. It's a world in which the divine attributes, of um, emotional divine attributes, are, are manifest. And therefore, the, the created souls and beings in this world also are very emotional. They feel and they love and they desire and... You, and um, connect with Hashem then comes the world of action our world what's manifest in our world the lower hay which represents the divine royal attribute so how do we connect with Hashem in this world we don't have great intellects he said he looks surprised <laughs> we, we don't have, we don't have very intense emotions we're, we're, we're like stones we're like the world of action so what do we do have? How do we connect with Hashem? We have the royal, divine attribute of royalty. We are loyal, faithful soldiers. We are, we are dedicated and devoted. We are loyal and faithful. We can accept upon ourselves the yoke of heaven. By accepting upon ourselves the yoke of heaven and doing what we have to do and, and uh, um, fulfilling our duty and our responsibility to Hashem, that's how we connect with Hashem. Not we have great emotions, or we have deep insights, or we're very mystical and super connected. We're not. What we do have is we have this ability to connect with Hashem by accepting upon ourselves the yoke of heaven and dedicating ourselves. And we can be loyal. We know what it means to be loyal. We know what it means to be faithful. We know what it means to be, you know, to be dependable and reliable. And to accept upon ourselves the yoke of them. We can be disciplined. So I don't feel. My heart is not on fire. So I don't understand. And I don't have this great awareness. But I know. I know what I have to do. And I take it upon myself to do it. And you can take it to the bank. It will get done. You can rely on me. It's dependable. That's the quality that we have in this world. This comes from the lower level of, the lowest level of hey, the last final letter in Hashem's name. But all of these qualities are godly qualities that are found within the world. 
But the world per se, the world itself, the world itself is very coarse, very crass, and very material and tangible, and rigid and dead and fragmented and the antithesis of godliness. That's our reality. That's the reality that we have to deal with. It's our bodies, it's the world we interact with, it's the world we live in, that's the world we operate in. Where does that come from? That comes from the external part of the letter He. That comes from the breath, from the physical speech, so to speak. Not the deeper source and root of speech and what the words contain, and, but the, the physical. So that explains how they're both true. On one hand, the same letter He creates all the worlds and the angels and the souls. And the same letter He also creates this coarse, physical, material, dark world. Because you have the external letter, external, just like when we speak, you have the external, the breath, the physical speech, which is completely external and superficial to the person. And then you have what's inside the speech, what the letters contain. And especially the root of speech and the, the root of, uh, where the words and letters really come from. Also what the letters contain. The letters contain a concept, an idea, a feeling. So the higher worlds receive from the inner content of the speech versus the material world is created and formed from the external, the most external and superficial aspect of the speech. These four letters of the divine name, Avaya, are the aspect of godliness that is revealed within the four worlds as follows. In the world of Atsilut, the spiral of Chokmah, the view of the divine name, is manifest. Chokmah signifies the highest form of self-nullification, the awareness that he is one alone, and apart from him there is nothing, as explained in the note to part 1, chapter 35. This Sriva permeates the entire world of Absolute, so that whatever exists at that state of being experiences this degree of self-manification for Hashem. The upper head of the Divine Name, the Sriva of Bina, Comprehension, illuminates the world of Bria. Hence, all the inhabitants of this world, both souls and angels, are characterized by a high degree of perception of divinity. The world of Yitzirah is illumined by the letter Vav of the Divine Name, representing the six Midot, the Divine Emotive Attributes. The created beings of this world, therefore, serve God with their spiritual emotions, with ecstatic love and fear. The world of Asiyah is animated by the lower He of the Tetragrammaton, the Sphirah of Malchut. This is the world of action, the level of active divine service that is motivated by an acceptance of the yoke of the heavenly kingdom. However, this refers only to the soul of the world of Asiya that emanates from the combinations of the letters of divine speech at their innermost dimension. This level is closed and concealed within the matter or body of the letters the breath. 
the actual creation and animation of the world of Asiya derived only from the externality of divine speech, from the breath. It is for this reason that this world is physical and corporeal. Now, the rest of the letter, the Alter Rebbe is going back to the opening of this letter. The opening, he posed a question. It said in Samuel that David made a name, which literally means he made a good name for himself and the Jewish people through his behavior, his conduct. He allowed his enemies to have a proper burial and in general through his conduct he had a good name, a good reputation. He was a good person. The Zohar says that the verse, on a deeper level, the verse reads literally, David made Hashem's name. And, the, and he quotes the Rabbi Shimon cried, who is the one who creates, who makes God's name? One who gives charity, who helps a poor person. So, he says, what does it mean that we create God, we make God's name? And if we're able to make God's name, how do we make it through giving tzedakah? What's the connection? And after this whole long introduction, now he's getting back to that, to that point. Now he said, we, now we can begin to understand what the Zohar means, what the verse means, that we are the ones who make Hashem's name. And how do we create Hashem? How do we make Hashem's name? Through giving tzedakah. So first he created, what, is, what does it mean, Hashem's name? And it's Hashem's name that creates all the worlds with the letters Yud and Hey. And he explained at great length the Yud creates Elam Haba and the Hey creates this world. Now you understand the idea of Hashem's name and how Hashem's name, with Hashem's name, the whole world is created. And now we can understand what it means that we are the ones who make Hashem's name. And how do we make Hashem's name? Through Tzedakah. Learn about that the Torah teaches who makes the holy name every day. He who gives charity to the poor. The relevance of this answer, however, remained obscure. Now, therefore, equipped with the foregoing sides, we revert to the question with which it is absolutely open. How does giving tzedakah to the poor make a name for Hashem? Gelt already explains as follows. Now, with the terrestrial man, for example, when one who is so great, a sage as to comprehend the wonders of wisdom, contract his conception and thought into a single letter of his speech. This is a stupendous contraction and a great descent for his wondrous wisdom. Precisely as in this analogy, but infinitely more so, there is an immensely great and mighty contraction. When during the six days of creation, the heavens were made by the word of Hashem and all their hosts by the breath of his mouth. By the letter He, a light letter of the four-letter name of Hashem, does it's written, and these are the chronicles of the heaven and earth, the Hebrew Ram, by revocalizing the Hebrew letter, letters of this word, the sages read it as if it were simultaneously pronounced the Hebrew The verse would now mean, these are the chronicles of heaven and earth, with the letter He, he Even a, a human being who's, he says, was very wise, extremely wise, and there's a huge distance between him and the rest of us. And he has to communicate, he has to convey his depth in one word, or there are a few simple words. It's like taking an ocean and reducing it to a 
a little, a little, uh, a little pipe. How are you going to get all this wisdom into just a few words? So it's very, very, it's very difficult for for that person. You know, in general, with all of us, I think it was uh, President Lincoln who once wrote the twenty-page letter during the war, the Civil War. He writes to his friend, the only reason I'm writing a 20-page letter is because I have no time. If I had time, I would write you a one-page letter. <laughs> you know. To concentrate takes, is very difficult. It's very hard. You have to think very hard. Weigh every word. Not an extra letter, not an extra word. And that's in general. And the Talmud says a person should always teach his students be brief, succinct. Because it takes a lot of, a lot of will, uh, wisdom to be able to be succinct. There was two rabbis, two Rashi Shivas and the Yeshiva. And again, one would speak for hours and hours, one would speak for half hour. And he said, the difference between my colleague and myself, my colleague thinks for an hour and he speaks for 18 hours. He says, I think for 18 hours and I speak for an hour. And you can tell the difference. So I won't put a lot of thought into it. Every word is not an extra word. Everything is precise. Everything is perfect. You can see when someone speaks and there's a lot, a lot of thought behind it, a lot of wisdom. And it's very, very difficult. I understand this, this organization on the web and the internet they ask people who are experts in their fields to give a 20-minute talk to concentrate their whole life's wisdom that they've acquired over 40 years in 20 minutes. You probably want to hear what someone has to say, someone who spent 40 years in a certain subject, teaching and writing and mastering that subject. Those 20 minutes are probably very interesting and very... uh, But it's very difficult. How do you take all that experience and condense it into a few minutes. It's a lifetime. How do I take a lifetime and condense it in a few minutes? You know, so, but the Talmud says that's why a teacher should always teach, be very succinct. It doesn't mean you should teach very little. That's, that's, not, br- that's not brilliance. To teach very little... But it means to concentrate, take everything that you know and condense it into 20. Succinctly. Like the Mishnah. You have pages and pages of Talmud, sometimes 15 pages on one paragraph, one Mishnah. But the Mishnah is very brief, very succinct. Every word, every letter is succinct and contains. This 15-page discussion is all contained in that single paragraph. So it's, it's, the Talmud is telling us the mission and ethics of our fathers. You should always speak succinctly. Think before you speak. Speak succinctly. Every word should count. But that takes tremendous effort. It's a tremendous symptom to, to concentrate something so huge and concentrate it into something so... When the Alter Rebbe published the Tanya, 
and his colleague, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Barditchev, saw the Tanya, he said, wow. He said, how did, how did Rabbi Shnei Zalman, how did Alter Rebbe take such a big God and put it into such a small book? <laughs> to be able to concentrate all that energy and all that wisdom in very succinct, clear, succinct words, it's a tremendous power. It's a power. It's the power of of Tzimtzum. But for the for the brilliant teacher who's so beyond the average student, for him to be able to reduce and concentrate his whole wisdom in one word, it's it's very it's very hard, it's very difficult. It's a tremendous symptom, it's a tremendous leap to go from here to there. Because although the teacher sees within this concentrated form, he sees all the brilliance, but for the student, it's like this whole brilliance has been reduced to, to a few words. The student doesn't see the brilliance, doesn't see all that intense brilliance. He sees a few simple words. So for the, for the teacher, it's very difficult. It's, a, it's like a plunge, it's like a descent, going from the peak all the way to the abyss. So, so too for God, for Hashem, to concentrate Himself, to concentrate His light, and to concentrate His life force, creative force, to concentrate it in a few words. It's a tremendous plunge. It's a tremendous descent. Because although to Hashem there's no concealment and Hashem sees within this world, nothing changes for Hashem and Hashem sees the original brilliance and infinite light. There is no real tzimtzum for Hashem. There's no real tzimtzum in any real sense of the word. But for us, there is a real tzimtzum. This infinite brilliance is now suddenly concentrated and completely hidden and concealed in this dense corporal, physical, material world, in the body, in the physical. So this is a tremendous descent from the peak all the way to the abyss. This is the idea of Tzimtzum. It's a tremendous Tzimtzum. And it's a big plunge, a descent from such a high, lofty level, from such brilliance, into simple words. And the student doesn't see the brilliance in these simple words. But to take this infinite light, to take Hashem Himself and to concentrate into words and letters, into the ten utterances, this is actually a tremendous, tremendous descent. So this actually revolutionizes our whole understanding of creation. See, we look at creation before the Kabbalists came along. We looked at creation as an expression of God's creative abilities. That's how Maimonides understood creation. In this world, you see God's brilliance, you see God's creativity, you see you're uh, impressed and you're overwhelmed in awe of God's creativity and God's infinite wisdom and brilliance that you find in this world. Everything in this world is so much brilliance and wisdom. But the truth is, creation doesn't come about, it's not a self-expression. Creation is not about God expressing himself. Creation is God hiding himself. (laughs) God depriving himself, denying himself, symptom, hiding, concealing, concentrating. 
taking this lofty, this infinite self and condensing and concealing and into something so simple. What a plunge. It's the exact opposite. It's not self-expression. It's Hashem is like, so to speak, absenting Himself. Hashem is removing Himself. Hashem has to hide Himself and conceal Himself. It's symptom. It's darkness. That's why the world, first God created light and night and then comes light. Because the whole world is created through darkness, through Timson. It's not self-expression. It's a plunge. It's a, it's a darkness. It's a negative. It's not a positive. You have to completely forget about yourself. Letter A is the source of the man-created uterances which issue from the first uterance in the beginning, which itself is a created uterance. And in Indical with the Sephirat of Chokhmah, which is called Reishit, the descent of Chokhmah, the source of the other nine creative uterances into Mahud, the lowest of the Sephirat, involves an intense degree of contraction. Like we said earlier, we learned earlier that the, discussed earlier, that the hey, the whole entire world is created with one letter, hey. Hey represents the uh, breath, the breath that contains and is the source of all the letters. And this is referred to the Bereshit. The Bereshit is the tenth, is also an utterance, but it doesn't say, Vayomer Hashem, God said, this should be heaven and earth. It says, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Because this refers to the Bereshit, is the one that includes the other nine. And this refers to the, the Chachma, Bereshit, the, the, the top ten, the, the first of the ten, which is the Chachma, but Chachma of Malchus. This is Chachma, the beginning of Malchus, the beginning of the speech, of speech, of speaking, which is the hay, which includes the, uh, the breath, which includes and formulates and is the source of all the letters that are formulated from this hay. So this is the hay that includes all the others. So for God to condense and, and, and His infinite self into one letter, it's a plunge, it's a descent, it's, a, it's going from the peak to the abyss, it's... it's, it's now, he's going to say that right now, in the beginning, before Adam was created, God did it on his own. He initiated the symptom all by himself. But once Adam was created, once man was created, now it's up to us. We have to... God became interactive. And God responds to us. So if we want God to make a tzimtzum, we have to make a tzimtzum. If we make a tzimtzum in our own personal life, then it'll, it evokes a tzimtzum within God. What does a tzimtzum mean in our own personal life? If we restrain ourselves, just like God, we ask Hashem to restrain Himself, restrain His infinite self, it takes tremendous restraint to hold Himself back, hold Himself in, not reveal Himself, because the nature of light is to be revealed and to flow and God has to restrain Himself, so to speak, in order to enable creation, in order to allow for creation. So what evokes that restraint? When we have self-restraint, when we overcome our urges and our instincts, and we overcome our desires, and we restrain ourselves, we refrain from doing what we like to do, and instead we do the right thing, 
So if we're able to restrain ourselves and do the right thing, we're able to zipper our mouths, we're able to stop thinking negative thoughts, dismiss negative thoughts, we're able to overcome desires to act, behave in self-destructive and negative ways, or we're able to overcome our desire not to act, not to do wholesome, positive things, and instead we go ahead and do the right thing. This is a tremendous act of self-restraint. So if we, the human being, are able to find within ourselves the ability to restrain ourselves instead of just following our urge and our instinct, this evokes within Hashem His ability to restrain within Himself. So if the whole creation is dependent on restraint, because that's the source of creation in Hashem, it's not an act of self-expression. On the contrary, creation is an act of self-negation, of God hiding, concealing, holding Himself back, restraining Himself, if that's the source, then what's the source of all of life and all of creation? Self-restraint. So self-restraint is not depriving us of life. Self-restraint is the source of life. The more self-restraint we have, we activate Hashem to have self-restraint which enables and gives us life. That's what gives us life. The self-restraint is the source of life. The source of vitality, the source of health, the source of... Blessings, the source of good, the source of everything that's good in our life. If we have no self-restraint, then Hashem has no self-restraint. Then creation is not possible. So, it's, all, it's interactive. We are in the driver's seat. Presently, we are in the driver's seat. And the way we behave, that's how Hashem responds. Looks like you don't agree with anything that was said. Are we really in the driver's seat? Yes, we are really in the driver's seat. Says um, King David says in Psalms, in, um, in chapter 121, God is your shadow. Basham explained, God is our shadow. We are in the driver's seat. We smile, God smiles. We're sad, God is sad. We're bitter. Whatever energy you put out there, it's the energy you get back. You're positive, you'll get back positive energy. We are completely in the tribes. And Rabbi Dovber, the Magadim Mizrich, said even deeper. It says in Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 2, Mishnah 1, Know what's above you, an eye that sees, an ear that hears, and a and everything is written down. So he interpreted it with da malamaila. You should know that everything that's above, including in the divine realm of the divine world of emanation, mimcha, it all comes from you. You're in the driver's seat. You know why there's the divine attribute of kindness? Because you act kindly. When you act kindly, you cause God to emanate from within himself divine attribute of kindness. Everything that's above comes from you. We are completely in the drivers. That's why there's so much mishigas in the world, then, because... Absolutely. We make... We make uh... Absolutely. The world is in our hearts. We are the microcosm. If we had our act together, the whole world would fall into place. It's like the pieces of a puzzle. We had our act together, everything would fall into place. We are in the driver's seat. Not only for ourselves, even for the higher worlds, the spiritual worlds, the angels. 
They all waited with bated breath. And, and the divine world, the world of emanation, and God himself is waiting with bated breath. And his destiny hangs on our choices, our moral choices. We're not in the driver's seat, external things. External things, we're completely not in the driver's seat. We don't choose when to be born, who to be born, to be rich, rich or poor. That's not our choice. You can steal from today till tomorrow, you can work from today till tomorrow. If it wasn't destined that you should be wealthy, you're not going to be wealthy. It's bashert, that comes from heaven. That's no human fingerprint. That's not our choice. But moral, how, what we do with our circumstances is totally our choice. And whatever we do affects all of the worlds. Why do you think the Yetzirah works so hard to try to get us to stumble, to fail, to fall back? Why, why? Because the Yetzirah knows what's writing, how important the slightest act of ours is, the slightest thought or speech. The whole universe depends on it. God himself depends on it. We affect the whole world in such a deep, profound way. Yes, we are totally in the driver's seat. Not only that, even the laws in the Torah, the Alter Rebbe explains in the Talmud, that even the laws of the Torah depends on the Jewish people. Who gets to decide what's the law? Not the souls in heaven, not even God Himself. Torah is not in heaven. Torah is no longer in heaven. Only the souls in the body in this world, the Jew gets to decide what the Torah was. And God listens to that law. And the heavens. So we are totally in the driver's seat. That's why Yaakov's name was upgraded to Yisrael. Yisrael means you wrestle with angels and you triumph and you win. Because God is totally, uh, the Jew is totally in the driver's seat. We even wrestle with angels and we win. Whatever the court decides, that becomes reality. When the court decides that today is Rosh Chodesh, even if they make a mistake, God will reorganize the whole universe. And the rabbis will be right. Even when they're wrong, they're right. That's the power that Hashem gave them. Hashem empowered us to be in the driver's seat. We're in the engine room. So unlike all other religions that denigrate and dismiss this world, it's a maya, it's an illusion, we're nobodies, we're nothings, it means nothing, it's insignificant. Comes Judaism and says, no, you have it all wrong. This is the holiest of all the worlds. This is the most dynamic of all the worlds. This is the most creative of all the worlds. This is where it's at. This is where it's happening. This is where, this is where the action is. We're in the engine room. We're the driver's seat of the whole entire universe. One deed is worth more than a thousand hours of meditation. One good deed can affect more change. We are in the driver's In this physical, external, superficial, corporal world, we are in the driver's and Through actions, the lowest level, which is action, indeed, it affects the highest. It's like when you want to lift a building. You know, today they move houses, they move buildings. How do you lift up a building? You have to go on the bottom, from the lowest, and you lift it up from the bottom. You want to lift up the whole universe? You lift it up from the bottom. When you lift up this world, you want to lift up the person? Start with the bottom. The action, the deed. 
the action that matters most, the mitzvah, the physical, not the meditation, the spiritual. You want a real change? You have to start with the physical, the material, and the deed. Yeah. So, yes, this is a very Jewish concept. And actually, modern physics actually corroborates this concept. The anthropic theory in physics, cutting edge of physics today, believes scientifically that man is the center of the universe. If there's no man, if we're not aware, the whole universe collapses. The whole universe, stars, galaxies, the whole complex universe. If you remove man from the picture, there is no universe. That's why the world is only 5,773 years old. According to everyone, man came on the scene just... Conscious man, consciousness came on the scene just a few thousand years ago. We only have written history only for a few thousand years. You believe the world is billions of years old, I have a bridge to sell you. All of a sudden, billions of years, nothing happens, and overnight there's writing and there's history and there's people. Okay, fine. You, know, you, you want to believe? You want to have blind faith? You want to believe in Narishkeit and go right ahead? But because without man, there is no universe. Without consciousness, there's no universe. This whole idea is so, you know, went out with the dinosaurs. The whole idea that the world exists objectively and we're just detached observers is so. It's like fossils. It's so, it's so pre-Einstein, pre-quantum mechanics, pre-modern physics. You can't separate consciousness from reality. If there's no consciousness, there's no reality. The whole universe collapses. You can't take consciousness out of the equation. So man, consciousness, was only a few thousand years, according to everyone, which is what the Torah tells us, without man, without consciousness, there is no universe. That's why the universe only exists 5,773 years. There is no 774 years. Without consciousness, there is no universe. Modern physics tells us. Scientists understand that today. So what the Torah has been teaching us for thousands of years, that we are the center of the universe. And how we live and how we think and how we speak and how we act matters, makes a difference, and literally affects the whole entire universe. Not only the physical universe, the galaxies, the stars, but all the spiritual universe and even the divine universe, and God himself, the whole world is hanging on our shoulder. It depends on us. That we are significant. The exact opposite of what they keep on teaching in public school today, in universities, that we're just a blip, and we're just a nothing, and insignificant, and just be happy, and decide yourself what's right and wrong, and play God, and be God. It's so absurd. It's so the opposite of everything that modern physics teaches. It's so ancient, so outdated, Time to upgrade and to live a life as consistent with the realities and the truths that we know today, not only from the Torah, but even in the laboratory. The scientists are coming. All roads are leading to Jerusalem. Even the scientists are coming to the same realization that we are in the driver's seat. Everything depends on us. We have to be strong and we have to be connected and we have to be aware and we have to be active and we have to live the good life. Do good. Yes, it's very revolutionary and very Jewish. The exact opposite of what all other religions teach, all other spiritual mysticisms teach. The deed is what matters. We matter. This world is what matters most. It's counterintuitive. That's why we call Mount Sinai revelation. It took us all by surprise. It took the angels by surprise. The angels resisted the giving of the Torah. 
He said, give us the Torah. Torah belongs in heaven. Why are you giving the Torah to this dark, coarse, crass, ridiculous world? And we know how ridiculous this world is. Just read the paper. Maybe they were right. They're right. But they, because this is counterintuitive. This is only Hashem Himself revealed the truth. They have it all wrong. This world is where it's at. This world is where the temple is at. Only in this world does God feel at home. The angels don't know what God looks like. It's only in this world that we come face to face with the essence of God. Only in this world we have marriage. Angels don't get married. This world is the ultimate. This world is where it's at. This world is where the essence of life and where the essence touches the essence of God. How does that square with Mashiach now? That is, exactly, that is Mashiach. Mashiach is, will, will be the revelation that this world is the ultimate. Because that is the whole theme and the whole goal and the whole purpose of the entire universe. All the angels and the world to come and everything was all for Mashiach. It was all to reveal that this world, this is what it's all about. Everything that happened in this universe, everything that's happening in the universe, all the Tzimtzum and all the revelations and all of history and everything that happened is leading to one point. Mashiach. What is Mashiach? When godliness will become manifest in this world, when God will feel at home in this world, when then the whole universe will reach its point and its purpose and realize its purpose so for existence. It really then, that's in our hands. Totally in our hands. We are in the driver's seat. We bring Mashiach. The whole concept of Mashiach is a purely Jewish concept. And the whole idea that the world is going to change, but it changes through us, through our behavior, through our attitudes, through our speech, how we speak and how we think and how we act. This is a purely Jewish concept. This gets to the essence and crux of what... And how do we influence 99% of the people? We're like, we're less than 1%. Well, again, again, with modern physics, that question falls off. With one atom, you can change the whole world. If you approach one atom properly... You're going to light up New York City. It's tiny. You can't even see an atom. No one has ever seen an atom. <laughs> one little quality. You don't need a lot. You just need one atom and you can create a nuclear energy. Every Jew. One mitzvah. One Jew. One mitzvah. One good deed. One thought. That c- could create a nuclear fusion. A nuclear explosion. And could light up the whole world. Change the whole world. And especially all atoms are connected. Now we know all atoms are connected. You change one atom, you affect all of the atoms. You get one atom right, you'll get it all right. It says if there was one tzaddik in the world, if there was one Jew who had his act together, who got it right, it would spread in the moment throughout the whole world because we're all connected. So we are in the driver's seat. Every one of us. Don't rely on the rabbis. The Rebbe constantly said, People said, Rabbi, you bring Mashiach. The Rabbi would get very upset when people told him. <laughs> very upset, visibly. Once for a dollar, a woman says, Rabbi, come on, you have to bring Mashiach. The Rabbi got very angry. And he pointed his finger. If I am Rabbi, I'm telling you. And he pointed everyone around him. I say, you have to bring Mashiach. You have to bring Mashiach. You have to bring Mashiach. That's the whole message of Judaism. Don't rely on the rabbis. Don't lie on the rabbis. Every one of us is in the driver's seat. All 56,000 Jews living in the Upper East Side. Sorry, the numbers got revised. <laughs> living in the Upper East Side. Every one of us is in the driver's seat and every one of us is responsible. Personally, personally responsible. And has this awesome privilege to close the deal, bring Mashiach, change the world, transform the world, radically change the world for the good. Reveal Hashem 
tip the scale, bring redemption, hit the home run, and get us all to home base, where we belong, in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim HaKadosh. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.